0: I went to a small school growing up, and so uh, in elementary school our gym also served as our cafeteria. You know, they would have tables put out during lunch, and so we would eat our, our lunch, but then it would get moved out for Fayette class. class. But once a year, the, the gym and slash cafeteria also became a concert hall. At Christmas time, it would get filled up with chairs, and we'd have this little Christmas concert. And, you know, all throughout the semester, we'd be practicing in choir class we would put on and the night of the concert we make our way up onto the stage and then you get on the little like you know bleacher stadium things and you find your spot and if you've ever been part of one of these as like a little kid and you you, the first thing you you do like what's the first thing you do or at least I know what the first thing I did you kind of look for the people like your family or friends and family members who like came to watch you it's like okay where are the people that came to look for me like okay there's the faces of like my family or my parents and and maybe they'll be sitting there like you know like waving at you super excited maybe you're a little too nervous nervous like okay or maybe you give like a little wave or something or you just sit there "Mm." but you kind of look for the people that came uh, to watch you because those are the people like you're kind of really putting the show on for everyone is there to listen and hear it and they're all going to clap for you but really the people after the show that you're going to walk up to and that are going to talk to you and say like how you did or be proud of you are those people that came to watch and those are the people whose faces you're going to look at and there's a sea of faces but those are the people that you really wanted to be there that are really coming to watch you and that you're paying attention to but so kind of take that scenario and imagine your whole life is kind of lived on a stage and all the people around you that you interact with and that are part of your life are kind of watching you and your life and they're the sea of faces out there. All these people are watching how you live your life. And as you live your life, whose face are you looking out to, to see what are they thinking of me right now? What are they thinking about how I'm doing, how I'm living my life on this stage? You know, imagine like you're you're going about your work, you're going about your how you're doing things with your family or how you're just living your life in general. And if, you had, if everyone was kind of like out in a crowd watching you and you're just doing your thing and it's like, who do you look out at to see what is the look on their face and what do they think about how I'm doing as I'm living my life? And who is the person you look at? Like there's a whole bunch of people watching and there's a whole bunch of people you don't really care about. And you don't really, like, worry about what they think. But there's certain people that you really do care about what they think. And who's the person that you look out to see their opinion really matters to me? And I'm looking at them to see what are they thinking about me? Now, take a moment and just think of that. Whose opinion in your life matters the most to you? Whose approval is most important? Or whose rejection would be the most crushing to you? somebody came up to you and said you know what I don't really like you or you're just not that important to me or you're just not doing a very good job like I don't think you're really great like who would be who if somebody said it to you whose would be the most crushing or who's if somebody said it to you whose would be just it would just make your day or make your week or make your month if some if you received a card in the mail from somebody if this person you got a letter in the mail and they're just like you know what I just think you're amazing like who would you just long to get that a card from that person in the mail or a note, you know, special note from them? We're in our sixth week of a sermon series called Good News with an exclamation point, and this series has been focused on the gospel, the the good news about who God is and what he's done through Jesus Christ. And our world has changed, but who God is and who we are because of him. Hasn't and, and two weeks ago, uh, we started covering the four G's, and these are four truths about God that tell us how we'd live if we believed them. And I'll just, uh, well, if someone would be willing to be my assistant, I won't do a, a passing around because any, then everyone will touch them, but if I just give them to one person, then it's only one person that has germified them. Bob, are you willing to germify them? Or if you don't like that, then like... <laughs> but, there's a, so those are the four G's are on this card. If you got one last week, that's okay, because actually the goal last week, if you remember, was to share one of these with somebody. So if you, this is the four G's. So last week we went over uh, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Uh, this week we're going to be covering God is glorious, so I don't have to fear others. And the last two are God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. And the fourth is God is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. And if we believe the truth about God at the beginning, the fruit in the second part is what we would see in our lives. And today, like I said, we're going to focus on God is glorious. And so, well, well, Bob, you might as well stay up. I've got these. Well, I should have figured, okay, Larry's going to, thanks, Sharon. Thanks. I know. I should figure out a better system, like pick these up on your way in You know, I'll do that next week. Thanks for the great idea, whoever said that. Uh, But, so we've got our little tree that we've been working on and Katie redrew it because we used this on the whiteboard on Friday. So finally you guys get a better tree. Katie confessed to me, she's been wanting to redraw this for weeks now. So hopefully you appreciate this tree better than the one I had. Um, So this is the the tree we've been working with of looking at, you know, the, the bad fruit in our life And at the root of it is our view of God or what we think of God and how we're interacting with God. Um, But then if we want to to see good fruit in our life, we need to be having a different uh, view of God. We need to uh, see him differently. And so if you look at the top of the tree uh, under number one uh, on the sheet uh, on the left, where it says bad fruit. The main fruit here when we have God is glorious so I don't have to fear others, uh, the main fruit here is that we're afraid of other people. We're afraid of what people think about us or we're afraid of what they can do to us. And so what does that fear look like in our lives? What What sort of actions are we taking when we're afraid of other people? And so some of the things, I'm just going to list off some things of what that fear when we're afraid of other people, what that looks like. So uh, we're we're worried and we're anxious about what others think of us. It's it's on our minds all the time. That's what worry and anxious looks like. Like we're any situation we're in, or when, or when we're leaving a discussion or a situation, we're worried and we're anxious about what others think of us. Do so what do we do? What are they thinking about me? And we work hard to impress people because we care a lot about what they think of us. So it's like are they impressed with me? What do they think about me? We're worried and anxious about it, and usually that means we're doing a lot of managing our image like we're trying to we're trying to put out an image a persona that people like we're managing our image like what are people thinking of me i need them to have this image of me that that is good and we're hiding our our true self very often because we aren't sure if i let all of me out if they see my the true me i don't know if they'll approve of me or accept me or, or like me i don't know if they'll like the real me so i have to just show them the parts of me that they're going to accept of me and approve of me, and I need to leave the parts of me that I don't know if they're going to like behind, so I just need to show them the the parts that I know they're going to like. And so that means we're going to do things that other people like. We're only going to do the things that people are going to approve of. If we're afraid of other people, often we're usually trying to kind of read their minds, like uh, trying to predict what they want us to do. So they won't be upset with us and so they'll like us and approve of us. Like what would this person want me to do in this situation? You know, it's like we're sitting around, it's like I don't want them to be mad, I don't want them to reject me, I don't want them to disapprove. So what would they want me to do in this situation? We're like trying to read their minds. And because of all this, we're not doing what God wants. We're doing what pleases other people. We're thinking, what's gonna please them? What's gonna make them like me? What's what's kinda like their will in my life? What are they wanting? And so that often the term uses we're being people pleasers. Instead of being God pleasers, we're being people pleasers, doing what somebody else wants us to do. And so what is this showing that we believe about ourselves? So moving from the bad fruit that's kind of the fruit we're seeing, what does this say about we believe about who I am? Well since we put so much value on what others think of us, we're going to we're going to other people. You know, where do you go to find out who you are? We're going to other people to find out who we are. And so we define ourselves by saying, I am what others think of me. I am what others think of me. This is under number two, who I am. If we have all this bad fruit, all this fruit of I'm fearing others, how we define ourselves is I am what others think of me. That's where our value, our worth, our significance comes from. If people think good things about me, then I'm worth something. If they don't think good things about me, then I'm worthless. I'm not worth anything. If they don't accept me, I don't know who I am. If I'm rejected from their group, then I've lost my sense of who I am. If I'm not a part of this friend group or this coworker group, if I don't have this job, I, I, if I lose this job, I won't know who I am. Or if I don't have this role, I won't know who I am. If I'm not in this relationship, I won't know who I am. That I am what others think of me. I've lost my sense of myself. Or if, I don't I won't know who I am anymore. And our identity comes from what others think of us. And so you could think of like what are you trying to be known as with other people? Like I'm trying to be known as smart, I'm trying to be known as hard working, I'm trying to be known as competent or responsible. I'm trying to be known as a good Christian. I'm trying to be known as a good person. I'm trying to be known as funny. It's like that's I'm trying to be known as what others think of me. This is what I want others to think of me. I'm trying to be known as that. It's like if other people don't know me as that, then I don't know who I am. That's what it means to be defined by what others think you can fill in the blank here, you know, if only blank, if only this person approved of me, loved me, respected me, liked me, noticed me, then I would feel secure, happy, fulfilled, valued, or worth something, you know, if only this person approved of me, you know, if only people would think of me in this way, if only people would tell me this, if only this person would tell me I love you more. And if only this person would tell me you're doing a good job. If only this person would tell me, you know, you just are worth so much to me. If only this person would show me how important I am to them, then I could feel like I'm worth something, or I could feel like I belong. I could, feel, I could just rest, and I would just feel like I'm, I'm significant in this world. But think about the power that person has over your life. Think about the power you're giving them. You're giving them the power to tell you who you are. You're letting them control your sense of worth and value and significance and happiness and fulfillment. You're giving them authority over how you think and feel and act. And if you're not already sensing, that, that's the power that God's supposed to have over your life. That's the authority that God's supposed to have over your life. And so why do we let people define us like this? Why do we let people have so much power and authority over us? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 10. The scripture reading we had uh, to find out so the scripture reading was matthew chapter 10 verses 16 through 33 but we're going to focus mostly on 26 to 33 it's matthew chapter 10 verses 26 to 33 the bible calls this whole issue the fear of man And, and god's word has a lot to say about the fear of the lord versus the fear of other people and when you look at in the bible there's this spectrum of different fear responses to God. On, on the one end of the spectrum, people respond with this terror fear to God, like this, this terror fear of they're in God's presence, and they're just like, I'm going to die. He, they're responding to his, his majesty. His, we're, we're, the word we're using his glory. They're, they're feeling, I am so small, and I am so sinful, and I'm in the presence of a holy God, who is just going to destroy me. I am totally unworthy to be in his presence. And they respond with this terror and this dread of like, I'm dead. I can't be in the presence of this God. I've, I've seen God and I shouldn't be here and I'm dead. They respond with this terror fear in response to his power and there's with this fear of punishment due to their sin. That's one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, they respond with worship fear that's motivated motivated by love or and a desire to honor him. And in between this terror fear and this worship fear are other responses of, like, dread and trembling and astonishment and awe and reverence and devotion and trust. And so there's terror fear to God, and there's worship fear. And if you think about it, you can have those same types of responses to people, too. Like, you can have this terror fear to somebody of, like, every time they walk in the room, I just want to hide because I'm afraid they're going to hurt me. Or you can have kind of this worship fear with people where you're like i idolize them i just respect them so much i want to be like them and so you can have kind of the same spectrum with people as well and everything in between and jesus addressed the issue of fearing god versus fearing other people many times and when he began his ministry he had this mission of i'm going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom i'm going to heal people i'm going to cast out demons i'm pushing back the powers of darkness and if you're, if you're around me, you're seeing that the kingdom of God is come, and I'm proclaiming that kingdom. And then in Matthew 10, he begins preparing his 12 core disciples to go out and do that same mission. But then he warns them, like we read in this passage, expect persecution. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, which is very uh, not reassuring, because wolves eat sheep. So he's basically, I'm sending you out as Uh, sheep among wolves, Uh, he said some people aren't going to like your message. A lot of people are going to hate you. They're going to oppose you. People are going to pressure you to stop doing what you're doing. You're going to be rejected. People are going to talk bad about you. They're going to bring you before government officials. People are going to threaten you. People are going to physically harm you. You're going to be imprisoned. Family members are going to hate you and reject you. And so do you think, as they're hearing this, Today we have similar fears as we live for Jesus. Many of the moral teachings, so there's kind of like speaking for Jesus or speaking up for the teachings of Jesus and telling people about Jesus, but many of the moral teachings of the Bible are not welcomed by people. And So if we're living for those values, such as uh, what the Bible teaches about marriage as being between one man and one woman, you might be hated and rejected if you start talking about that in front of people in our culture. Or if you tell people that gender, I believe gender is a gift from God and that you don't choose your gender, that you just are given the gender of a male or a female. And people will tell will hate you and reject you for that. If you speak up when someone is using racial slurs or making racist jokes, you might now be the one on the other end of the joke for speaking up against that. And those are some of the big topics, but you could also be looked at weird for not joining in on people just having inappropriate humor, refusing to join in on gossip, where you could be fired for refusing to lie or bend the rules. And so if you want to li- line up with God's values in this world, you'll have many situations in which you will ha- might have to s- stand there and be like, I'm in fear of these people and what they're going to do if I'm going to stand for God's values as opposed to the world's values and what could happen and what are the consequences if I do that. Have fears about telling people about Jesus. If you tell someone that Jesus is the only way to know God and be saved, you might be hated and rejected. Jesus, like guaranteed it to his followers. People might think you're narrow, exclusive, bigoted, and hateful. They might say, How can you say everyone else is wrong? How arrogant and prideful are you to say that? That's what many people will may respond. And say with, Say to you, I've been told that. And we have the same problems Jesus' first disciples had. In in a world that has rejected God, if we are living for God, we need to expect opposition. People will oppose us, reject us, talk bad about us, stop associating with us, and maybe even threaten us. And that puts us in a situation where we can be afraid to live for Jesus and talk about him. But Jesus gave his disciples a message of God's glorious grace to announce to people in desperate need of good news. And if you call, if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus today, we have that same message and we have that same mission. So we have to ask ourselves, are we silent about that message because we fear other people? And I know I too often am. And are we holding back on living the mission that Jesus gave us because we fear people. And I know I sometimes do. Well, Jesus had something to say to his disciples then, and he has something to say to us as his disciples now. He says, have no fear for needs to be bigger than belonging to others. He makes this point in verses 26 and 27 of Matthew chapter 10. So belonging to Jesus needs to be bigger than belonging to others. In verse 26 he says this, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the roof, on the housetops. Right before this, in verses 24 and 25, Jesus told them that if they belong to him, they will be treated the same way as him. If people don't like Jesus, they also aren't going to like people who follow Jesus. He says, if they call me the devil, how much more poorly are they going to treat those who follow me? Beelzebul, that's what what he said in the previous passage, is another name for the devil. If they're calling me the devil, how much more are they going to... How much worse are they going to treat you who are following me? But then he says in verse 26, So have no fear of them. Wait, what? What, what do you mean? If they, wh- how does that follow on? They're calling me the devil. They're going to treat you much worse. So have no fear of them. Wait, what are the, why? how are those two things connected? Well, Jesus is telling them, Have no fear of people uh, when they hate you and mistreat you. They're doing it because you belong to me. And there's two reasons this is comforting to us as we live for Jesus. First, Jesus is the one they really hate, not us. They don't like Jesus. They're rejecting us because they've rejected him. That's the first reason. And the second is Jesus saying, we belong to him. We belong to Jesus. We belong to his household. We belong to his kingdom. What does that mean? What what does it mean to belong to Jesus? He's saying, they're rejecting you because you belong to me. Remember, you belong to me, Jesus loved us and gave his life for us. Jesus uh, saved us. Jesus brought us into a relationship with the Father. It's because we belong to this amazing person and we belong to his kingdom that people don't like us. Jesus doesn't want us to forget our privileged position and our standing when people are rejecting us. He doesn't want us to forget all that we've gained even if we're losing things with other people. He, we don't stand alone He says He stands with us. We belong He's saying, they're rejecting you because you're belonging to me. So don't fear them. Have no fear. You belong to me. And he goes on to say, have no fear, because nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Jesus is saying that in the end, their actions will be shown for what they are. Their actions will be shown to be a rejection of the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's telling his disciples, you belong to me. And in the end, those who reject me will have to answer for it. so don't be afraid. And then he tells them in verse twenty seven to be bold and shout the gospel from the rooftops. don't don't be afraid. like in the end, everything's going to work out fine. And one of the fears we have is losing our belonging with people. We don't want to be outsiders. We don't want to lose our place in a friend group or with our coworkers or in our family or, or in a friendship or wherever. We don't want to be the person on the outside. Like, well, if I speak up for Jesus at work, then, like, people are going to kind of think I'm the weirdo or the outsider or whatever. If I speak up for Jesus and my family every time I come to the, you know, the family get-together or whatever, like, I'm going to kind of be the one that everyone's like, mm, like, here comes, you know, so-and-so, the weirdo Jesus person. But Jesus is like, our belonging needs to be with him. We need to see that. We, and we, can, we don't even want to lose our belonging with strangers. We don't want to lose. We don't want this world to look at us as weirdos and outsiders. We don't want people to think we're weird. We want people to think that we're just like them, that we belong in this world, like right alongside of everyone. And we fear people because we see belonging to them as big and belonging to Jesus as small. And belonging to Jesus needs to be bigger than belonging to others. Jesus' second point is that rejection by God needs to be bigger than rejection by others. Jesus' second point is that rejection by God needs to be bigger than rejection by others. This is in verse 28. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We sometimes do everything we can to avoid someone rejecting us. We'll say the right things and do all the right things so that someone will accept us and approve us, of us. We'll avoid saying anything or doing anything that might offend them so that they'll like us. And we won't stand up for the valleys of God's kingdom because they might think we're weird or uptight. We won't m- mention Jesus' name in case they might get offended by it. But Jesus says, uh, don't fear the consequences of their rejection. Fear the consequences of God's rejection. It's way worse. Jesus says that uh, anything a person can do to us is nothing compared to what God can do to us. The rejection of a person is temporary. God's rejection is eternal. If you get people's acceptance, but you lose God's acceptance, you have not made a good deal. And so what's Jesus' point? It's not that people can't hurt us. It's not that people can't do bad things to us. But he's saying those bad things should not lead us to abandon Jesus because facing God without Jesus' blood-bought forgiveness will be far worse. If we trade our loyalty to Jesus for acceptance with people, we believe the lie that people are more powerful than God and that their rejection is worse than his. And So we fear people because we see their rejection as big and God's as small but rejection by God needs to be bigger than rejection by others. And on the opposite is acceptance, God's acceptance, needs to be bigger than people's acceptance. We need to value his acceptance more than we value people's acceptance. Lastly, Jesus shows us that value from God needs to be bigger than value from others. Value from God needs to be bigger than value from others. Jesus says in verse 29 through 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And sometimes we may think that God has bigger things to worry about than us. Well, he doesn't care about our fear of people maybe he's saying you just got to get over this like move on but jesus is pointing to the smallest things here to show how involved god is with us and sparrows sparrows were the cheapest meal you could buy in the marketplace and so jesus says, look at the sparrows you order them off the dollar menu but not one of them falls to the ground apart from your heavenly father and think about the hairs on your head have you counted them all god has and I'm not sure if this is where Jesus was going with this, but I was thinking about how does a father uh, count the hairs on their child's head? And it's, when they're, it's when they're holding their child. And they're looking at their child's head, and maybe like brushing. Like That's how a father would count the hairs on their child's head, looking, holding their child and looking at their child's head. It's by holding them close in their arms that a father counts the hairs on their child's head. And therefore, Jesus says, don't be afraid. God values you. He's looking after you. And this, of course, doesn't mean that nothing difficult will happen to them because Jesus has already said difficult things will happen to you. But it means they can trust God with the final outcome of their life. And and when bad things happen to us, we quickly wonder, well, does God love me? Does God care? Has God abandoned me? Are these bad things happening to me because God has abandoned me and he's not with me and he's not involved in my life? And Jesus is telling them, your heavenly Father Loves you very much. He knows the hairs in your head. He's not abandoning you. You're doing his will, and that's why you are suffering in this way. These bad things are happening because you're living on this mission I've given you. We fear people because we see value from them as big, and value from God as small. And value from God needs to be bigger than value from others. And so you think about these three words, belonging, Acceptance, which is the positive side of rejection. Belonging, acceptance, and value. These are three desires we have from people. (laughs) When we fear people and we say, I am what others think of me, we are afraid of losing these things. We're afraid of losing belonging with others. We're afraid of others rejecting us and judging us. We're afraid of losing value in other people's eyes. But Jesus ends with this warning in verses 32 and 33. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And to acknowledge Jesus means to profess our loyalty to him. It means to, like, pledge our allegiance to him. It means we're willing to make it public that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We say he is our king and he's the one I'm following. And we do that by living for his kingdom, his values, his priorities, and telling people about him. Like, yeah, I'm with him. You know, it's kind of like right now we're seeing all these people with, like, Signs in their yard about you know who they're against, who they're going to be voting for, or who they're going to be voting against. And they're saying like, you know, I'm with uh, Underwood, or I'm with Biden, or I'm with Trump. We see people saying, you know, professing their loyalty to their uh, presidential candidate or whoever it is. And that's kind of what it's what this is. It's like, are we willing to make it public? Like, this is who I'm with. I'm standing with Jesus. But Jesus says, if we will not profess. loyalty to us before his heaven father in heaven if it's more important to us to find our belonging our acceptance and worth from people rather than from God then in the end that is what you're going to act and what you're going to do. Is it God or is it somebody else? That's how fear of God and fear of people work. That's why wisdom begins with the fear of God, or the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, is who's going to determine how you're going to live. Is it going to be people or the Lord? And Jesus, when he talks about denying, uh, denying, we're just a quick, um, not really an aside, but uh, not a sidebar, but uh, Peter, if you remember, he denies Jesus three times and he gets forgiven and restored. Uh, Judas also denies Jesus. Uh, He does not get restored. And for Judas, this was a a firm, hardened heart denial of Jesus. He never, it's just a full-on denial. And for Peter, it was a more like a momentary thing where he turns back to Jesus, and he gets forgiven, and he gets restored, and he goes on. So sometimes we'll have moments in life where it's like, it's not like a one-time thing, like man that person, you know, was, like, talking to me, and I had this opportunity, and I, like, kind of, like, didn't really have a backbone there, and I didn't stand up for Jesus, so, oh, no, is Jesus going to deny me before the Father? Not necessarily. If that's your whole lifestyle of your entire life, you've never, ever made it public in your entire life that you, like, stand with Jesus, then that's a problem. and you're working with him like Peter is, then that's a different story. But if you're like Judas, where it's like, you know, I just never am making it public and it's just, just turn away, and you're just never doing it, and you're always kind of like saying I'm a Christian, but you're never ever standing up for God's values and never making it public, then you should do some work with the Lord and talk to him about that. But glory in the Bible is about someone's importance, significance, and weightiness. To glorify someone means to give evidence to their importance, significance, and weightiness. It means to make much of them. And we were made to glorify God, but when we live in fear of other people, we let them determine our actions, which means we're doing their will and not God's will. We're doing what pleases them. By doing this, we're making much of them. We're making ourselves into a living display of their majesty, greatness, power, worth, significance, and importance. We're becoming a living display of another person's glory. We're pointing to them as the reason we are who we are and the reason we do what we do. We're glorifying another person and not God. We're saying they're more glorious to us than God, and we're, spe- and we're essentially worshiping them because we fear them above God. When we're living this way, when we're looking at our tree, we're saying, you know, God isn't really impressive. God doesn't really do much worthy of awe, uh, and God isn't that important doesn't really do anything worthy of worship. This other person does more worthy of worship. We're saying God is not glorious, God is small, and God is unimportant. And if you really want to get clear, think about the person or the people that you're always worried about, and complete this sentence with their name. If if there's a person when you look out on that audience of like, this is the person that I'm always like letting, that I'm always worried about, and they're always the one that I'm kind of living in fear of, and they're determining my actions, you can complete this sentence. God is less important than blank. You know, God is less important. That's, that's who God is to you. God is less important than blank. If it If it always comes down to like, well, I know God wants me to do this, but then you're like, this person, I know I should tell this person about Jesus. I know that's what God wants me to do, but then you don't because you're afraid of them. Then you're saying, well, God is less important than that person. Or it's like, well, this person is always you know, gossiping, and then I always join in and gossip with them because I'm afraid of what they'll think of me if I don't. You're saying God is less important than that person. We're saying God, you know, this person and what they think of me is less important than what God thinks of me. And we need to repent of putting people above God and determining how we live and what we talk about. And when we die, we won't stand before another human being as the judge of us. We'll stand before God as the judge of us. We'll stand before a holy almighty God who knows everything we've ever done, everything we left undone, and everything we've ever thought. He made us, and it's to him we're accountable. That's so when we think about who am I? We come over here and it's like who's God? What what God does, and who who am I? In this view, when we think of the, the famous story of Isaiah six and not familiar with it isaiah has this vision of god of god high and lifted up and he's he he sees god in all his holiness and it says there's these creatures saying holy 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 is the lord of hosts whole earth is full of his glory and isaiah isn't like you know could, you know heavenly beings and god could we just pose quick for a selfie so i can you know like tell us about my friends no isaiah's response is I'm a dead man. I'm a sinful person who lives with a sinful people, and I'm in the presence of a holy God. I am dead. And that's how we all are without Jesus. God is the most terrifying person to be in the presence of if we are not covered by the grace and blood of Jesus. And so, what has God done? What's the gospel? In God's glorious presence, we cannot impress Him. God is glorious. put on a mask to make him think we're better than we are we can't hide our true selves we can't show him our good parts and hide our bad he sees it all and all of us need to come to a place in order to be a christian where we cannot where we feel exposed in the sight of god it's the only way to become a christian because it's the only way to be truly forgiven and accepted and loved and free otherwise we're just trying to give god a fake version of ourselves and say okay i'm just going to show you the parts and could you accept this and i hope you don't find the other parts out And that's what we're trying to do with everyone else, but we can't do it with God. When we look at the cross, we see what we deserve. We see God sees it all, and he put it all on Jesus on the cross. And this is what you deserve, and this is what you will get in God's presence if you don't have his grace as well. And we'll say, I'm dead, I'm a wretched sinner in the presence of holy God. But with Jesus, God has paid for it all. And grace means God loves us apart from our works, and he saves us apart from our works. And the really great part about the gospel, uh, not that that's not great, but the other great part is not just that God is for us because of grace, but then God is with us. And if you think about the Holy Spirit, and we can live our lives as people-pleasers, like I'm trying to please all the people around me, but God gives us the Spirit not so we can please other people, but God gives us the Spirit so we can please Him. Like God has given you His Holy Spirit to enable you and empower you, to please him. He hasn't given you the Holy Spirit to empower you to please anybody else. But God has equipped you, enabled you, empowered you, so you are able to actually please him. Not everyone around you. So the gospel is that God gave you a spirit so you can please him. So isn't that amazing that you can please God? You can't please everyone, but you can actually please God, and he's enabled you to do it. And so instead of us saying, who am I? Not I am what others think of me, but I am what God thinks of me. I am what God says is true of me. What does God think of me? What does God say is true of me? We ask that. And we stop living for what others think of us. And we start living from what God thinks of us. Instead of living for what everyone's what people can say of us, we start living from what God says of us. If you're living for what others think of you, it's always a question. Am, am, I, good, am I a good mom? Am I smart? Am I loved? Am I worth anything? And it's a never an I am. It's just am I? And we're always asking it. If we live from what God says of us, it's already been settled. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what He's done. It's given to you. It's received. You don't earn it. You live from belonging with God that He gives to you. You live from acceptance with God that He gives to you. You live from value and worth that He gives to you. You don't deserve it and you don't earn it and it's given to you and that's freeing. He sees it all with no masks, no persona, no hiding, no trying to impress them. He just sees all of it and He loves you anyway and that's freeing. And if we live like that, the fruit in our lives is that we become people who don't make others work for us to love them and enjoy them. We can be connected with people and we don't let our reactions and our behavior be determined by what they think of us. And we don't make people work for us to love them and we're, being, we're free to love them as well. So in closing, similar to what we did last week, I uh, want you to think about for the week, is there anybody in your life that you know is really afraid of other people and is just living in fear of others. And this is a great way that you can um, be thinking throughout the week, like, God, do you have, do you put anybody around me that is living in fear of other people and that I know that they're just saying, I am what others think of me. And this the 4G card can be just a great way to um, say, like, you know what, I... You hear somebody saying that, like, I'm just afraid of, you know, this person with this person thinks so you can say, I heard something this week and it was really helpful to me. And that's a way we can testify, share a testimony of like, you know, I have a lot of fear of other people. I'm afraid you can, you can be, you can go as deep as you want, but you can say like, this is something that really helped me. And, you know, maybe it'd be helpful for you too. And it's a great way we can share. And so if you have somebody in mind or you want to pass one of these out this week, um, come grab it off the table. Um and that would be it's a great way for us to witness. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we don't have to be afraid of others, that you are glorious and yet you we can come into your presence freely, loved and not hiding. Just something we pray. Amen.